Welcome to NBA Talk with Isaac Wolf. I am your host, Isaac Wolf. So you lose Bradley Beal and Kevin Love and pick up Keldon Johnson and JaVale McGee? That's what Team USA just did. Johnson and McGee were both selected as replacements to complete the 12-man roster because it appears that Jeremy Grant will play so he doesn't need a replacement. Johnson, I guess he makes sense because he played for the select team, has been in Vegas the whole time, and has made supposedly a great impression on the coaching staff. Woj reported that he's, quote, well-conditioned and has developed into a favorite of decision-makers and staff. Okay, that's fine. Have a guy who's been with the team and this process the whole time, played in some of the games, you know, he was one of the three called up to replace the finals players, rather than getting someone new who'd have to learn a completely new system and style of play, likely. As for McGee, they needed his size. He may not be the most talented player in the world, but they needed his pain protection and rebounding. They, I mean, they have enough scoring, so they didn't need another big name, so to speak, to fill the roster with simply more talent. Size and fit at the center position was needed, and McGee brings that. So when you look at it, I mean, clearly these aren't the obvious choices in terms of talent, but they're relatively smart ones in terms of, in terms of fit. So, Keldon Johnson and JaVale McGee, the newest members of Team USA. That is very interesting. The Wizards are set to hire Wes Unsell Jr. as their next head coach. This is a great move in terms of, you know, the fit as a coach and the, the history behind it. Junior's father is the late legendary Wes Unsell, who is probably the biggest figure in Washington franchise history. A former player, coach, and executive for the team, he brought the Bullets their only title in 1978. This is a terrific homecoming for Junior, the former Nuggets assistant. Great hire with great significance. I'm sure this means a lot to him. Let's talk about game five. In the first quarter, the Suns owned it. 37-21, Suns shot 74%. 83% from three. Everyone... Shot 100%, except for Devin Booker and Cameron Payne. Payne only took one shot, though. Payne was 0 for 1. Booker was like 5 for 9, I think. Everyone else shot 100%. Giannis took a cheap shot at Devin Booker on that dunk. I mean, it didn't matter because it it didn't hold any significance to the game because Tucker fouled Bridges on the pass before. But that could have been a flagrant one. I mean, you know, you can't just shove a guy midair on the dunk. I'm impressed Booker finished it. There was a point. In this quarter where Phoenix made 11 straight shots, 11 straight field goals, that's when the run- runaway began, but the Bucks caught up in the second quarter. They quickly opened up the second, 21-5. They tied it up 42-42 and made the run with Giannis on the bench. You know, sometimes Milwaukee looks better without Anadokounmpo on the floor. They have better ball movement. It, it, there's le- they're less stagnant on offense. There's less ISO, clearly, less fouls, of course. And, you you know, when Giannis came back in in the second quarter, he looked tired. He wasn't rolling hard to the basket, missed a couple layups, defensively wasn't on his A game. But despite Giannis' fatigue, the Bucs led 64-61 at half, a 19-point turnaround from the end of the first quarter. In the third quarter, Booker and Middleton traded buckets. That's pretty much all that happened. It was was actually pretty entertaining. The Bucs had a couple more threes than the Suns did. So Milwaukee took a double-digit lead at one point, 190 after the third quarter. The Bucks outscored the Suns 79 to 53 in the second and third quarters. That's really when, you know, things started to turn around. In the fourth quarter, crunch time came at the 5-minute mark. Chris Paul hit a floater to cut the lead to 6 at that point. Teams went back and forth for a while. Devin Booker hit an unbelievable 3 to cut the lead to 3 with a minute 30 left. Giannis was fouled on the other end and missed both free throws. Paul made a layup to cut it to 1. A 12-3 run. 
by the Suns at that point. And then in a shocking turn of events, the Bucks come up empty on offense. Devin Booker tries to go ISO to take the lead. They're down 120 to 119. Booker goes ISO. Spins right into Drew Holiday. Holiday was, was behind him. Made a great play. Just ripped the ball out of Devin Booker's hands. Bucks go the other way. Holiday throws an incredible lob to Giannis, who finishes plus the foul. Paul took a cheap shot at Giannis because Paul shoved Giannis. Basically, I don't know if it was to get back at... I don't know if it was to get back at Giannis for what he did to Booker, but that's what happened. I mean, that play just sucked the life out of the arena. Giannis, though, misses the free throw, unsurprisingly. And he misses so bad that the Bucks retained the offensive rebound because it was a weird bounce. It was, like, so short. It just kind of went, like, straight down off the front of the rim. And, like, six hands tapped it at once. And it went flying out on the perimeter to Chris Middleton. He gets fouled, makes one or two free throws. It's a four-point game. I mean, the Suns really can't do anything. Booker misses on the other end. 123 to 119 is the final score. The Bucks pull off. What I thought was the impossible road win. So they are up 3-2 in the series. Let's look at the box score. The Suns, they had, you know, the type of games you want, you expect from them. Devin Booker, 40 points again. Back-to-back 40-point games in the finals, both in losses, though. Chris Paul, 21 points, 11 assists. He played a lot better. Uh, Not as good as we would like him to. I mean, of course, 21 and 11 in a finals game is incredible. But And then DeAndre Ayton, 20 and 10. Those three, those three were terrific. They really did all they could. But it wasn't enough because Giannis had his usual 32, 9, and 6. Chris Middleton, 29. How about that? Back-to-back good games for Middleton. Uh, we haven't seen that in a while. And then Drew Holiday had the game of his life. To me, this is the best game of his career. I don't care if he scored 40 or 40 before. He had 27 points, 13 assists in the NBA Finals in Game 5, the most pivotal game of the series. This was a big-time performance from Drew Holiday. Not only on offense, not only on offense, on defense too. That play, I mean, he... He did more than just that one play, but that one play where he just rips the ball out of Devin Booker's hands, then throws the lob to Giannis on the other end. That was big time. 12 of 20 from the field, 3 of 6 from 3 for Drew Holiday. Pat Connaughton, 4 of 6 from 3, 14 points off the bench. He has made, I believe, he has made the most threes of anybody in this series. I now know that Pat Connaughton is a shooter. I really didn't think he was. You know, coming into this series, but he has shown that he is worthy of uh, quality minutes, and he's a great rebounder too. Six rebounds, and you know he's only like he's only like six five. He's got he's got bounce. So that is just incredible, incredible performance by the Bucks. Honestly, they won this game because Drew Holiday had twenty seven and thirteen. Drew Holiday has an average game; they don't win this game. It's that simple. So the focus now shifts to Game Six in Milwaukee. Is this series over? Some people think it is because the Bucs have won three straight and they have a chance to clinch on their home floor. And that makes sense. It really does. But no, this series is not over. The Suns are just as capable of winning game six on the road. I didn't think the Bucs could win game five on the road. And if the Bucs can do that, then the Suns can win game six at Pfizer. 
I think they are just as capable of winning game six, considering the Bucks won in Phoenix. Anything is possible. But Chris Paul has to show up. If you look at the, traje- the trajectory of his stats in these finals, he has gotten progressively worse. Game five, he kind of got back on track with 21 and 11, but it was like 23, 19, 15, and 10 or something like that in the first four games. He just continually got worse. He's not himself. I don't know what's going on. Chris Paul is not playing well, but I'm not sweating it too much if I'm a Suns fan because it took Drew Holiday's best game of his career and Middleton scoring 29. You rarely get a, on top of Giannis's 32, 9, and 6, you rarely, maybe once in like 80 games, will get a top-tier performance from all three of those guys. 27, 29, 32. It took all of that and a historic two-way play to escape with a four-point win on the road. It was the Bucks' best game of the season. I don't think they will re- they will repeat that performance. Specifically, I don't have confidence in Drew Holiday to repeat that performance. My confidence in Chris Middleton is growing. He's becoming a bucket getter, and I'm impressed. But that's why I have the Suns winning Game 6. Setting up the first Game 7 in the NBA Finals since 2016. And this one will be in Phoenix. So that so a prediction for that game is to be determined based on what I see from game er, in game six from Middleton, Holiday, Paul, and Aiden because we know what Booker and Giannis will give. What are the other guys going to give? We have two. We'll call them. We'll just call them big threes for the sake of comparison. We have two big threes here. We have Holiday, Middleton, Giannis, Paul, Booker, Aiden. We know what one of those three on each team is going to give you. Booker already had his bad game. Giannis had his bad game in game one. So they're going to they're gonna perform. We know what they're going to do. But Chris Paul and Drew Holiday, that matchup is the key. It really is the key. Is Holiday going to shut Chris Paul down? Is Holiday going to go off on offense? What are we going to get from these guys? And then Middleton, he's had two good games in a row. His consistency is increasing in a good way. So, I don't know. Maybe we get another 20 from him. And then DeAndre Ayton had 20 and 10. He would play terrible the game before. He only had like six points in game four or something like that. But DeAndre Ayton, DeAndre Ayton needs to dominate. He really does. They need to use him in the pick and roll more often because the Bucks can't cover the pick and roll. Brooke Lopez can't recover fast enough to retreat all the way back to where Ayton is on the roll. Ayton's faster, more athletic. Stronger than Brook Lopez. They need to use him more, I think. So, I have the Suns winning game six. And hopefully game seven. I, I hope there's a game seven. I really do hope there's a game seven. That would be so much fun. Game seven of the NBA Finals is the best thing you could ever ask for as an NBA fan. Let's talk about Damian Lillard. He, unsurprisingly... Denied the trade request news and said he expects to be in a Trailblazer uniform next season. He does want more urgency from the team as to what's the next move because they've made the playoffs for eight straight seasons, but have only made it to the conference finals once and they were swept. And really, it was really a bizarre series because they had like a 17 point lead in every single game and blew it every single game. But anyway, five first round exits, two of them sweeps. So clearly, they're not there. The Blazers need something else. They need another piece, a seemingly significant one, because they're not that close. They're not a title contender. 
I think they need a new big man. Yusuf Nurkic hasn't been the same since he fractured his leg. He averaged just 11 points and 9 rebounds this season after averaging 15 and 10 in 2019. Last season, he only played 8 games, so the 17 and 10 isn't really a fair st- uh, statistic to go off of. I think they need to trade him. Covington isn't as big of a problem, in my opinion, at the 4 with Melo coming off the bench behind him. Although I thought Robert would contribute more after what he did for the Rockets the season before. The front court is what they need to address, really. Although Norman Powell was terrific after coming over from Toronto in the swap for Gary Trent. They do need more depth, too, I think, because their bench doesn't go deeper than eight, uh, more like nine-ish with quality players. You have Melo, you have Anthony, or excuse me, Anthony Simons. Zach Collins can't keep his foot in one piece, so they should just release him at this point. Derek Jones Jr. and Ennis Cantor. So Melo, Simons, Jones, Cantor, those are really the four main guys coming off the bench because I don't think Collins is going to play this year. He broke his foot again or something like that. And no, Ennis Kanter should not replace Nurkic as a starter at the five because he can't defend anybody. He's an A-plus rebounder, a B, maybe B-plus finisher, and then a D-minus defender. It's just how it is. He's great in a backup role, but you need someone else for a starter. So they can go nine deep, but they should strengthen the bench a little bit as well. To wrap up today, this day in NBA history... In 2005, the National Basketball Development League changed its name to the NBA Development League, or better known as the NBA D-League, to better reflect the role of the league within the new NBA, NBA Players Association Collective Bargaining Agreement. That is now known, the D-League is now known as the G-League because it is sponsored by Gatorade. It is now the NBA Gatorade League. Happy birthday to LaMarcus Aldridge. I hope you're doing well in retirement. I hope your heart is doing is is beating normal now we will be back after game six with potentially a new champion or just another podcast about a game seven preview